You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 92. We are talking about Tango and Cash in our month of bromance. This movie came out in 1989. The director, Andre Konchalovsky, my apologies, and Albert Magnoli. Well, I think technically those are the credited directors because there is a thousand of them. Yes, there was. This film had some problems there in the uh, director department. Including, I read, I don't know if in the trivia or elsewhere, Sylvester Stallone was an uncredited director. (laughs) Apparently at that point in his acting career, he directed from in front of the camera whether you liked it or not. Yeah, (laughs) it had some issues. It stars Sylvester Stallone as Tango to his Kurt Russell's Cash Terry Hatcher played his sister Kiki. Jack Palance played Eves. Is that how you say that name? Perret? Yeah, I would say Eves. But how did they get Jack Palance? Wow. I don't know. I looked it up because I was curious. This was before his one-armed push-up on the Oscars for City Slickers. So somebody on City Slickers saw him in this, I think, and said, we got to get that guy. We got to get that guy. (laughs) Brian James, James Hong, and Clint Howard. Yeah. And no Ron Howard in sight. <laughs> yeah, unless he was cut out of... Maybe he was one of the <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> uncredited directors. Yeah, the day he was the director is is why Clint was called in. <laughs> And then they're like, well, we already went through hair and makeup with him. Let's just keep him. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Andre w- was known for directing Purple Rain, which I thought that was Whoa. interesting. Uh, different films, <laughs> but okay. And the DP, Donald E. Thorin was known for Locked Up from 89, The Golden Child from 86, and Midnight Run from 88. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Midnight Run, Charles Grodin, and I can't think of it. I know. I can see the poster, but I can't think of it either. The writer was Randy Feldman. We know him from Nowhere to Run with Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude Van Damme? Uh Uh-huh. Hmm. And, And he was in this film, but I never saw him. I had read that trivia seen this film a bunch of times and I've never recognized him. So if he's in there, he's in there for a couple frames. Right. Let's see. So this one was filmed primarily in Ohio, different parts of Ohio and LA. It's set in LA. So interesting that they use some Ohio, maybe the penitentiary. Yes. The synopsis for this film is framed by their ruthless arch nemesis, a mismatched LAPD crime fighting duo has to put its differences aside to even the score with the evil kingpin who put them behind bars once and for all. What I described this film as to someone in the last couple of weeks is they took every single cliche of action <laughs> films in the 80s and put it in one film. Yes. I have a little tidbit later when I give the ratings of something that I saw from a critic. So um, I think <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm nice teasing. teasing. Yeah, that. I'm teasing yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so for Super Fan Udo, I only have one tagline. I can only do what IMDb yeah. gives me. If there's only one, that's all we That's all read. I can do. <laughs> Just the one. So, but let's see how this one rates. Two of LA's top rival cops are going to have to work together, even if it kills them. I think it's okay. Yeah. 
it's not great, but it's it's okay. It's, it's workable. A little, it's a little wordy. But for this kind of film, that even if it kills them, that that wordplay yes, works. Yes, yes, correct, correct. Let's see. So, do we want to go into all of the behind the scenes that we alluded to, all the directors, or? So I will say. This film does not watch like it had multiple directors, right? It doesn't watch. So when you watch the film, it seems a pretty consistent arc. Yeah, that's true. I would would agree. So kind of my canonical example in the other direction is the original Happy Feet, which felt like two entirely different films. The first half was the Happy Penguin children's movie, and the back half was the political screed against the environment but it, it this film did not have that kind of split personality so it, it is odd that it had multiple directors i don't uh, again other than the tidbit that supposedly stallone was trying to direct too which i'm sure made it easy for all those other directors to do their job if the star was trying to direct at the same time well that's interesting because in my notes i have the the director andre andre k we'll call him yeah (laughs) so i don't butcher his last name again he says he was in his memoir he said he was fired because he wanted to give the film a more serious tone than the producers wanted and his relationship with the producer john peters became untenable but he has nothing but praise for sylvester stallone who he states was a constant voice of reason on the set so maybe stallone had enough presence and kind of say and pull that he was able to keep that same kind of tone so that it didn't feel like it was two different people sure, kind of, or sure. many people so what year are we talking here this is 89 great year so that's maybe what eight years after rocky so stallone was still probably yeah. a really big oh, star yeah. with a lot of gravity so that makes sense. He could serve kind of as a ballast to prevent it from going off the rails. I will say it had no seriousness to it at all. It was completely comic and over the top. But all right, there you have yeah. it. Yeah. So you should be very happy that Patrick Swayze was originally cast as Cash. Well, he had the hair for it. Right. But guess why he dropped out? And this is going to make you so happy. Roadhouse. Yes. Yes. because if he hadn't dropped out he wouldn't have been in roadhouse which is probably one of your favorite movies okay for the podcast where they they switch things around what would you different what if we switched patrick swayze and kurt russell in roadhouse and tango and cash what would that be like oh i don't know if swayze would have been as scenery chewing in this role right right some might say he was (laughs) (laughs) in roadhouse all right fair enough so the film ultimately went 20 million over budget and it had to be completely re-edited by stuart baird prior to its release so this film had some trouble getting off the ground it did it had some troubles but kick us off let us know what is the first line of this movie what is your pickup line okay let's do it (laughs) Okay, no, go ahead. No, okay, let's do it. That's the line. <laughs> What's mine say? <laughs> so your theory is the way that the first line is informs the ending or the rest of the film? Basically the rest of the film. It, oh. it, it, uh, I, I actually think it works for this. Yeah. Yeah, because that's really all this is, is let's just go do it. Right, <laughs> and it kicks off with a car chase a car involving chase. a helicopter. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's why I said 
they let you know immediately what you're in for, right? We open yeah. with a car chase and it's a ridiculous car chase. Yeah. Right. And it's foiled by this person, Stallone, his character is Ray Tango, I think. Inexplicably, his car suddenly becomes twice as fast, right? He's chasing this uh, semi-truck with like uh, the, the, the shiny cylindrical fuel trailer. <laughs> right. And he's struggling to get around. And then all of a sudden, he's like a mile ahead because he has time to pull over, get out, stand in the roadway, get his gun out, take a deep breath, crack his <laughs> neck. I mean, it's it, he suddenly was in a different county. Yeah. And then, and this is, again, they're letting you know exactly what you're in for. Right. He pulls out a snub-nosed revolver that not only does it have a one-inch barrel, you can very clearly see it has no rear sights. So this is a gun that you would carry for concealment, and it would be used at a range of 10 feet or less. And instead, <laughs> okay. he shoots again. Wait, 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 but before he shoots, doesn't he empty? Oh, yes, he, he <laughs> empties all of the, the chambers and then reloads with different bullets for but some reason. we don't know why reason. or how. Yeah, he, it, well, they like don't show us like that they're somehow like a different load. Right. Like more powder in the cartridge. Okay, so then he <laughs> takes aim with this snub-nosed revolver, shooting what appears to be 38 Special, and he shoots through the windshield hundreds of yards away. Right. I, I, you're I, you're I, crying BS. Yes. I don't, I don't even <laughs> think those bullets would still be rifling at that distance, let alone accurate. Okay. So you have some ballistic issues. Oh, geez. But it was, I mean, it's great because it's exactly what you're in for. They're, they're showing you. Show, don't tell. Yeah. This is the kind of film we're in for. Yes. So to get nitpicky and oh, yeah. to take them quite literally, inappropriately. <laughs> so the reason... That he shot through the window, and I don't know how he didn't kill them. No, because no idea. They're behind the window. Yeah, it doesn't stop bullets. But so that when they slam on the brakes, <laughs> the windows are broken up enough because they're not completely broken open. Right, they're also not safety glass, which would have been mandated by right. Them. But they're broken open enough that the the driver and the passenger come through the window. Correct. Onto the pavement. Without being in any other way injured. <laughs> and and this is where I cried BS while we were watching. <laughs> we're two minutes in. Because I was like, I don't think we watched Red Asphalt, but we watched something quite similar in high school. And I feel like, per my education, that, that stunt is impossible to live through, to go through a windshield. Uh, I... You may live for a short while, but you're going to be shredded. It's going to be a real serious blood you're loss gonna, issue. Yeah, you're not going to be mildly annoyed at the cop no, who just no. stopped you. Because they and, look up at him and they glare and they're like, okay. oh. And, 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 and let's just say that for some reason, maybe the windshield is even absent and you go flying forward. Landing on the asphalt at that velocity is not going to be painless. Yeah. Previously, your body was going at least 50, 60, and yeah. then you dead stop. Yeah. So the body isn't meant for that. But then, in case we were unclear of what kind of movie we're in, <laughs> then they have the Highway Patrol show up for the Turf Wars. Oh, yes. Which is, uh, right, again, a cliche in all these movies. I don't believe in real life they're actually that snarky that, to each other. I'd be curious. And then somebody says about Stallone's character, 
he thinks he's Rambo. See, <laughs> it was like a, a meta breaking the fourth wally kind of comment. So this shows that this film does not take itself that no, serious. No, we are not. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> All righty. Let's see. What did we love about this film. Well, I loved all the cliches. Right. I mean, for two reasons. One, if you're going to do a job, do it well. And they definitely check, checked all the check boxes. But the other thing is, I, I, I do actually like the spirit of fun. So as an example, more car chasing. They're in a parking structure. Now we're introduced to Cash, right? Yeah. I loved when we meet him. All the children are running and calling his name. So it's like right. the dichotomy between Everybody hates Tango. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Right. But look, Cash is the Pied Piper. All the children in the neighborhood love him. Right. And and we're going to get back to that scene when we talk automotive. But in this case, he's in the parking structure. He's in basically a fight to the death. Uh-huh. And he stops to save the old homeless lady. Right. That shows us he's got a heart of he's gold. Got- See? That he's the good guy. You can see it. Even though he's a little rough around the edges, you can see that. And, and I don't know. He's rough around the edges. A, a bit of police brutality oh. when he when he um, holds okay. the guy down in. <laughs> With the chair. Yeah. When is Dirty Harry is before this, right? Uh, yeah, I would think yeah. so. Yeah. So he uh, would not survive well in the post-George Floyd world with his techniques for coercing He would suspects. not pass the seven points. Of- oh, gosh, no. He probably violates all of them in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's car chases. There's random gunfire. Yeah, it's, it's not good. But this is, again, right, speaking kind of, again, meta, this yeah. is a time period not too far after Dirty Harry when Dirty Harry was considered kind of maybe an anti-hero. But I think the original film, the character of Harry Callahan was a cautionary tale. Like, this guy's out of control. But it didn't land that way. I think a lot of people saw it as kind of, you know, like uh, he's he's the guy who's willing to do what needs to be done. So that character played in here, I think. And so they put him in blue jeans and they gave him the, the mullet and, and all of that and, to kind of, and the boots to show that he was a cowboy. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point because this is also, I believe, post Serpico, which okay. was based on a true story about a cop who kind of they would say narked on his buddies in blue because he did, because he, you know, said they were breaking the rules. They were doing things the unlawful way. So it is interesting that there was this series of movies and in a way, Popeye Doyle from French French connection was kind of playing fast and loose with the rules too, which came in 71. But I think, Probably that was a realistic portrayal. Yeah, sadly, of, that's why we are where we are. Today. Policing, right? Well, I think it got worse though because back then they had the snub nose revolver, and now they have armored personnel character carriers and yeah. full automatic weapons and stuff. Yeah, so we've we've uh, we've upgraded a little, but I, I I do think it's enjoyable to me because at that era our action heroes were drawn very. Very simply, they were like yeah. the four color comics, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. We didn't look terribly closely close. at the police brutality that they ran. I mean, and then later in the film, they basically make this guy think they're going to blow him up with a hand grenade. Right. I don't think that's actually an appropriate interrogation and- technique. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Making a Murder? Um, <laughs> so, yes, there's there's rampant police brutality. Oh, so then they get framed for a murder. And this is where we hear some exposition from many news reports kind of giving us the they kind of just speed through the trial. It's almost sure. like a montage with newspaper articles. Okay, and I have to bring this up. This is yeah. probably more in sets, but this bothered me, those newspaper articles, because they made fake newspapers. You have to do that in the movies because, right. of course, it's a made-up story. But they got the title case wrong on the newspaper titles. It's called title case because it comes from titles. And this is a known thing. Talk to the screenwriter would know this. All you got to do is look at the pasty guy over there with the typewriter. They, and they say, don't let the screenwriter on the set. They, well, they don't. And they should. Because <laughs> they got it wrong. It just bumped me. It's on the newspaper. There's no way the Los Angeles Times would get that wrong. <sighs> Scrammer moment was brought to you by. <laughs> so these two go to prison. And this prison... Now, oh. I, I know prison is not a pretty place. I don't no. want to spend any time in prison. None. But I feel like if our prisons had open, <laughs> massive fires, <laughs> litter, uh, okay. uh, showering down the levels. <laughs> right. But what's nice about the actual active bonfire in the middle <laughs> of the walkway yeah. is that the rest of the walkway is covered with unexplained paper goods yes the flammable <laughs> which flammable, flammable material so wouldn't you think that the guards might look around and say wow i'm standing on kindling and there's an open fire maybe i should do something about this why is the whole place filled with smoke and everybody gagging and coughing right. oh and it gets better <laughs> because obviously they went cheap on the electricians as well because there's lots of Unprotected, arcing, arcing open, <laughs> high-voltage power lines throughout this this entire... And, again, not explained, remarkably large duct-like fans um, for air ventilation that are also inexplicably unguarded, <laughs> right? So, I mean, this, this prison is really poorly run. I never want to go there. <laughs> and in the middle of L.A., we have a massive monsoon. Oh, yes. All of the rain for the entire century came in that one evening. <laughs> and then so much so, I guess in L.A., maybe you do have flat roofs because yes. they don't get much rain. They do not. But on this prison, there was a flat roof, and I swear there's a good four or five inches of rain that had collected. <laughs> oh. So okay. when they had this fight scene, it was so dramatic. So the producer that you mentioned earlier, John Peters, yeah, I believe is responsible for the giant spider in the third act, quote from Kevin Smith. <laughs> yes, look it up. I'm pretty sure he insisted that there be lots of water. So when they had the fight scene, there's lots of splashing. Splashing and yes. carrying on. And uh, so By the way, also it only ever rains at night in Hollywood, you'll notice. Yes, yes. That's a rule. <laughs> it is a it's hard a rule. and fast rule. <laughs> and also despite being in Southern California, there are a remarkable number of very tall trees surrounding this prison that allows them to escape. Y yes. Well, yes. But before that we get before we escape, we need to let everybody know there's a shower scene. Oh, a shower scene. Where the audience is treated to some Stallone and Russell booty. Some tuckus. But 
I also mentioned this is in California. And while they're talking, every shower head is spraying hot water. <laughs> Not just the two they're using, all of them. Well, that's why they are having... And there's no one else in there. That's why they're having drought issues right now. Because in 89, <laughs> yeah. we just wasted water. All of the water. <laughs> just with abandon. And, and of course, there is... For an 80s action buddy cop film, the ubiquitous kind of homophobic comments about the shower, which you see coming from a mile away, but it's in there. It has to be in there. But yes, um, male or male naked booty. Now, because it's the 80s, we also have two other scenes of gratuitous boobs. Yes, it reminded me of how many boobs we used to see. I feel like it's either more even or you just don't see it as much as like in an 80s movie a la Porky's. So I kind of miss that as kind of a nod. <laughs> like, um, okay, so you can get one F word to remain PG-13. Yeah. Like there has to be one gratuitous one topless boobs. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it has to be one naked person. I think it should be an equal opportunity. Okay. If we're going to do full frontal, I go, yeah, one of each. Yeah. yeah let That's only fair. Yeah. Let everybody watch. Everybody's needs to. Well, and there are male actors in Hollywood that need their break too. So. Right. Let's do it. Why not? Okay, so speaking of costumes, oh, another thing is Tango was always in like the tailored suits and like you said, Cash was in the jeans and the t-shirt. Right. And when, oh, and when he's entering the prison and he's walking down the hallway and he's got like his big gold chain and cross and I was kind of <laughs> like, um, pretty sure that they would take that from you when you entered. Yeah. Yeah. Because if somebody's not going to steal it off of you, somebody's going to use it to choke <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. They refer to him as Armani with a badge. Yet, for some reason, he drives a, a, a Cadillac convertible. Huh? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. For sound, did you have anything else before I go on to sound? Well, I, I do want to mention in the cinematography, uh, I did catch something that I hadn't caught in any of the previous viewings. Mm-hmm. That there is, again, an inexplicable jump cut in the scene where Tango and Cash are negotiating who's going to plea in the courtroom. And it's it's not at all good. I mean, they just obviously... Yeah, it was. It was... It's very jarring. And again, that was the best cut they had, I guess. I know, but it's... (laughs) I mean, it's like... uh, I'm so flustered. It's like film school 101 (laughs) <laughs> the last thing you do in the day is you take pictures, you you run film on certain static images in each room, and they're called inserts, and they're to hide jump cuts. Like Exactly like that. I mean, if nothing else, film the light in the ceiling. <laughs> if nothing else. If nothing else. But like they could have cut to like... You know, somebody flicking a cigarette in an ashtray on the table oh, that his geez. feet were on. Yeah, they could have even done his boots. His boots yeah, on they the just table. Have somebody from the, the costume department put them on and they throw them up there. I mean, totally. you don't even need Kurt Russell. I know. There's a, a bunch of ways they could have cut that. I know. It was it was shocking to see kind of from a big studio movie. So, but it makes so, us indie filmmakers feel better. But that guy, Stuart Baird, who had to edit that crap, he's yeah. just like, look. F you. <laughs> I spent four months on this. I was done. Yeah. 
It was shocking to see. Okay, for, so for sound, I found it interesting that the sound effect that is used for Tango and Cash's truck in the quarry at the end of the film is the same sound as used in Luke Skywalker's land speeder in what we would call the first Star Wars, but is technically Star Wars 4, A New Hope. Right, still the first Star Wars movie. Right, 1977. And some of the sounds for the RV are the same as the DeLorean time machine from Back to the Future. So I think it's funny that they had maybe such a limited sound <laughs> library. <laughs> well, I want to know how do they get access to those sounds? So do the sound guys in Hollywood all share a tape like, oh yeah, we have the land speeder cassette. Can you? Well, I actually won't say how I got it. <laughs> Somebody gave me like, I have Hanna-Barbera sounds. And so I think the studio just sound had a sound library that all editors had access to. Right. Yeah. And and you just you went and looked for a sound. Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Some guy sitting at home, he's like, there's 78 different car sounds and you choose the one I use. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In fact, little tease, next episode I'm going to talk about a specific sound and oh. yeah, so there you go. So I think they they shared sounds. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Was there any head trauma in this film? Oh, there, there, there's <laughs> one particular head trauma we've already talked about yeah. at two minutes 30 when the baddies go through the windshield. Uh-huh. And then, I'm sorry, Superfan RJ, I did not make note of every time someone gets punched or punched. kicked in the head. Yeah. There's a lot of fighting. A lot. Assume that every fight involves head trauma. Yes. Now, there's also neck trauma when Cash uses the... Uh, the cross piece of the chair to choke out the guy to get the information. Again, super duper inappropriate interview or interrogation techniques. You could but kill somebody if it was right. Yeah, on I'm pretty the... sure you could. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Now, when I saw Terry Hatcher, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, is she going to be a love? And I couldn't figure out if she was Tang Cash. No, Cash's. Okay. I now must make uh, back off a little bit from my. It doesn't <laughs> seem like there's multiple directors because. The scene where they introduce us to her, I considered completely superfluous. Yeah. I don't know why it was in there. It right. didn't tell us anything. Did we it tell us then that he, that she was his sister? No. Because I, I don't thought think she so. was a love interest. We weren't quite sure. Again, it didn't accomplish anything. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. So. Yeah, that one was a little confusing. But that's classic 80s, though, right? Because you have the really good looking chick with the 80s hair. Oh, Gotta yeah. love it. And doesn't serve particularly a purpose in the film. Right. Well, no, at the end, doesn't she get kidnapped? A hostage? I don't, yeah. Not really an active but you're saying role. They, they could have picked any woman, but we needed to heighten it because it was his sister. R right. He could have been holding a Fabergé egg hostage and it would have served <laughs> the same plot role. She did nothing. So, but did her and, was Kurt Russell? Cash. Oh, so Tango. I almost said Tango and then I got him. Did they hook up? Yes. Okay. But that, again. So that's why she's in there because the stakes are high because it's a love interest for one and a sibling for another. Yeah. Yeah, but I would argue that on screen, she's pretty passive in the relationship with Cash as well. I, I, I'm just saying back then, we didn't give the ladies quite as much to do in these films, which which is a, a thing that I think we could do a little bit better at. And I'm looking at supposedly there's a John Wick spinoff where a female character now 
kills lots of people. So see, that's equity. We're letting the ladies kill people kill too. too. Yeah. So was there a smoochie between Cash and the sister Kiki? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. I didn't note a direct on-screen smoochie. There was the Implied. back massage that from the other side of the couch sounded pretty naughty. But there, her, her, her lips were far away from his at that point. Right. I feel like a Kiki probably did kiss Cash at some point. Yeah, I didn't make a note of it. Not really a film that focuses a so lot this, on the kiss. This wasn't a rom-com. Right. It was like a rom-com, right? Yes, yes, a rom-com. How about your driving review? Do we have one of those? Oh, we do. We have some notes. All right. So, first and foremost... Even when driving a stolen semi-truck, always wear your seatbelt. Yeah, always. In case someone shoots out the windshield and then causes your truck to stop suddenly, you would be safely within the gap. Yes. So there's an 89 Cadillac Elante convertible that's supposed to be a high-class vehicle for Tango. I think that's the only one ever made or something. I never saw that car before or since. The 1961 Chevrolet Corvette, it's a C1 Corvette, first model, that Cash Drives shows that he's a man who doesn't play by the rules, right? And so the kids love the car. So see, he's cool. He's got a cool sports car and it's vintage. Even back in 89, it was kind of like a, you know, a vintage vehicle. So that tells us a lot about him. I thought it was interesting that they made the cool, like tank-like vehicle off of an actual Chevy truck frame. And I just wanted to mention that for the most part, when you're making a fantastic vehicle, it's a lot cheaper and easier to start with something that's a real vehicle. So Batmobile, it was an actual car that they converted the bodywork to make it look like the Batmobile. But in this case, they used a truck. Now, it was supposedly a concept vehicle. I don't know if the 20-millimeter Canon was actually planned for the GM-released model, uh -huh. but it would help you merge on I-405. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. And so there was a bunch of stuff that was... Uh, different piece parts that GM used later. But the one that you might recognize is that it's like a Pontiac minivan had that really almost horizontal sloping windshield, mm -hmm. which is a great idea until they realized that the sun is often above and it turns your car into a greenhouse mm -hmm. and it made the interior vehicles, those minivans that had the sloping windshields, oof, they were very, very hot. Okay, there's a line of dialogue in here that says, who holds the pink slip, Satan? Okay, pink slip is a Californiaism. So it was probably accurate for those characters. Uh -huh. But your, your fans from Ohio, they're not going to know what you're talking about. Oh, interesting, because I feel like that's a common, and once again, this is a California movie, but in American Graffiti, they would say we're going to play for, or we're going to- yeah, race for pink slips. Race for pinks. Yep, yep, well- that's it. California is. And the title was pink in California, but I don't, uh, not all states did. I think Oregon and Washington, for example, did not use pink titles for vehicles. But I wonder, I'd be curious to people who live elsewhere, if you heard that, would you understand from context what it is? Yeah. Perhaps in American Graffiti, you would in, in Tango and Cash. I don't think there was as much context, but mm. okay. Now they had some very interesting heavy equipment involved here. A lot. So my question to the producers, especially maybe this is why they went 20 million over budget is <laughs> did they actually crash a Caterpillar 631 motor scraper? Right. That looked expensive. 
And that's just gratuitous. I would also mention, again, 80s action heroes, Mm -hmm. both Tango and Cash expertly know how to operate heavy equipment. They both hop into heavy equipment, immediately fire it up, and then drive it quite expertly. Yeah, I was trying to think, because I know you boys like those big toys. And there's that place in Vegas where you can just get in them and drive them. So they're not, you don't think they're as intuitive as your lay person could just jump in? I think... If I got in one of those in a large open desert, I could drive around just fine. I think in a confined quarry like that with gunfire and a time pressure, I don't I don't think I could. <laughs> yeah. I think you'd need a little more practice. Okay. That's fair. I know I would not, but I'm a bad judge, you know, like metric. I want to say if any of the listeners want to kickstart me going to that place in vegas to test out my theory i'm happy to do so road trip okay shall we go to the numbers let's go to the numbers all righty so so i don't forget i'm going to give that tidbit first before i give the actual budget numbers so imdb gave this a 6.4 out of 10 actually quite high for what i'm about ready to tell you rotten tomatoes said it was completely rotten at 31%. The audiences gave it a little bit higher, but still rotten at 52%. And one critic on IMDb said, cheesy, dated, cliched, predictable, and basic. But the lead performances and silly dialogue make it silly fun for those in the mood. Yes. And you, when I read that to you, you said, that's perfect. That is a, that is a perfect description. Agreed. So that's what you're in for. Just, you've got to be in the right mood, and it's going to be all of those things. If if you're in the mood for Mr. Holmes, don't watch this film. (laughs) Don't watch this one. (laughs) So let's see. This one had a budget of $55 I don't know if that's before or after the $20 overage. (laughs) (laughs) How much of that went to Stallone? Oh, yeah. They actually made one and a half times that. Well, yeah. 63.4 million and adjusted for inflation today, that would be like a $140 million film. That's a successful film. Yeah. I I, mean, I think I I remember it being successful back in the day. I think it deserves it because it's cheesy cliched. Yeah, it was just silly. We weren't really being that critical then, it feels. It must have come out in the summer. (laughs) It's, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like, yeah. Totally had to be a summer flick. It's an hour and 44 minutes, so just under two hours. You can you can watch this silliness. It is rated R. I believe there are some F words. It's listed as an action comedy drama, and it is a Warner Brothers picture. So, oh, it did win three awards. Are you <laughs> surprised? <laughs> it's won more awards than I have. It won three Razzies. Oh, I have won zero Razzies so far. <laughs> So Stallone and Russell for worst actor <laughs> and worst screenplay. Poor Randy Feedman. Oh, I, I disagree with all of those. <laughs> I wonder, they had to have gotten the Razzies in the in the era that it came out, I One would, would think. One would hope, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, well, if you're up for this, it's on Amazon for $3.99, $3.99. Pick a few of those days to delay your order, and then you can watch it for free. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dodge Movie Podcast. Next week, we are going to be talking about 22 Jump Street to close out our month of bromance. And never forget, Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, 
Leave a comment and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies.